0: Heavenly Father, we recognise that your commands, your word makes us wise. And so we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we would study them well by his insight, by his illumination, and so that we would keep them ever with us. And so therefore glorify you and enjoy you forever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our s- series in the book of Jude. Uh, we have been working our way slowly through this book, uh, which is tightly packed with lots of ideas uh, that come to us from the brother of the Lord Jesus and the brother of James from so many years ago. And it's a book that's basically, we see, warning those, uh, warning against those who would justify their sin by presuming God's grace. And particularly sins that were in this church that Jude was writing to, uh, sins of immorality and particularly sexual immorality, and therefore a rejection of Christ's authority. And that is given for us in verse four. Verse four gives a good summary as to what uh, the book is all about. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and uh, licentiousness. The idea of sexual immorality is there in that word and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And we've seen that there's different ways that this is manifested, uh, even as we've uh, looked at references to the Old Testament in verses 5, 6 and 7. And then last week we looked at verse 8 where it says, in the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, which is a reference again to sexual immorality, reject authority and slander celestial beings, rejecting the Lord's authority there in verse 8 as well. And so what does Jude do now? What does he do now? Well, he uses the archangel Michael as an example of what not to do, of what uh, of what not of what to do rather than what not what not to do. And what is that? Well, we see this interaction that is between archangel Michael and the devil in verse nine. In verse nine. What do we read? He says, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. We see what the archangel didn't do, and so that's what we shouldn't do. And then we also see what the archangel did do in, and as an illustration for us as to what we should do. What is this event that is being spoken of here in verse 9, where the archangel Michael is interacting with the devil? Uh, well, it's very hard to know. There's something like it in Zechariah 3, which you saw before, but the body of Moses is not mentioned in Zechariah 3 as this dispute that's going on between Satan and the archangel Michael. Uh, and so most people believe that what is being spoken of here was reported in another writing uh, from what we call the pseudopigrapha, which is false writings if you translate that word, um, and it's called the Assumption or Testimon- Testament of Moses. And people assume that it came from that because the, the writing, the Testament of Moses, we do have it in one form, but the part that contains this dispute about the body of Moses has been lost. Now, how do we know that it was part of that book originally, that, uh, that writing? Well, it's because other church fathers, uh, after the New Testament, talked about this reference in Jude being in the Testament of Moses, uh, uh, some sort of writing that was attributed to Moses. Uh, and so we can't actually refer to that and confirm that that's what Jude was uh, referring to, but obviously he knew some writing that spoke about the archangel Michael and Satan disputing about the body of Moses, and he knew about it, Jude did, and the people in the church that he was writing to knew about it as well. Now, this then raises the question, if he references this incident with Michael and Satan, does that mean that it really happened, and If he's saying that it did happen and this writing contained this report, what does that say about the rest of the book of the Testament of Moses? Is that all true as well? And I read it this week and there's some interesting things that are in the Testament of Moses. Uh, Are they all authenticated as God's word as well? And should we be adding the Testament of Moses to our Bibles? Well, no. No. Just because something is quoted by a New Testament author doesn't mean that he is recognising that the whole of that writing from that particular author is inspired by God and therefore God's word. Uh, Just as Paul references quotes from uh, pagan philosophers that were around at the time of the New Testament or the writings were still available, that doesn't mean that those pagan philosophers were inspired by God uh, in all their writings. No, it's just recognition of a true statement given by someone who is not a Christian or in a writing that uh, was available at the time. And so just because he talks about this writing, or this incident that's reported in that book, doesn't mean that that book is something that we should be adding to our New Testaments, just like we shouldn't be adding the writings of pagan philosophers. Uh, People can make true statements, and Christians can recognize that as a true statement doesn't mean that everything that that person says is true just like even the the authors of the new testament we don't have everything they ever wrote in their lives uh, because of course they were men of error as well but what they did write that we do have is recognized as the word of god but what's the point that Jude is trying to make to these readers who knew about this incident and that he knew about as well what's the point he's trying to make well, he's trying to make the point that the archangel Michael didn't abuse his authority in a dispute with Satan. What did Michael do instead? He respected, uh, he, he respected the authority that was given to him and left the situation that had arisen about the body of Moses for God to judge. We see that in verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael didn't abuse his authority, the authority that was given him. Instead, he respected the Lord's place to rebuke Satan in this incident. And so what is the point for the church that Jude is writing to and for us today Well, the point is for us to watch out for those who abuse their authority and are unrestrained in their interactions with others and their interaction with God. How can we identify such people? Well, unlike Michael, they speak abusively against what they don't understand. They speak abusively against what they don't understand. And we see that in verse 10. Following on from verse 9, where there's this quote about uh, the archangel Michael and what he said to Satan, we read in verse 10, yet these men, unlike Michael, speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. These men that are in the church that Jude is warning about are unlike Michael. And how is that shown? Well, they speak abusively against what they don't understand. And what don't they understand? Well, they clearly don't understand Christ's authority. They have denied Christ as Lord, and they do do not understand God's laws, laws particularly about sexual immorality. And why do they not understand? Why do they speak abusively? Well, it's because they may not have read the Bible as they should, and they clearly haven't understood the Bible as they should, even if they have read it. And so what do they do? They then speak abusively about Christ and his ways. And we, we see that people can do this, that they speak against Christ's authorities and God's laws. They speak abusively, even though they don't really understand. They've never read the Bible and they still speak abuse about Christ. They're quite happy to speak abuse about Christ and they're quite happy to speak abuse about his laws. But what do these people know? They don't understand Christ and his laws, but what do they know? Well, they know their instincts. And we see that in verse 10. It says, Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand, the things that they do know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these things are the very things that destroy them. They know their instincts. And what is instinctual for them? Their instinct says, reject authority. And their instinct says, You should be the Alpha. You're the one that should be in charge. And why do they want to be in charge? Why do they want to reject authority? It's because they want to follow their own appetites. Why is God's law so repulsive to people? Because it gets in the way of their appetites. It gets in the way of their desires. It interferes with the lust of their eyes, the lust of their ears, the lust of their stomachs, the lust of their sexual organs. God's law gets in the way of their appetites. And so therefore... What do they do? They speak abusively against God and His Son Jesus Christ and His laws. And you see this, even with the, the great philosophers that have been known through history, they often show the origin of their rejection of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They show the real reason for it by their lives. What do I mean? Well, the rejection of God is often very convenient for the great philosophers of this world for their promiscuity. If they can remove God from their lives, then they can be promiscuous. And if you look at the lives of some of the great philosophers, they were very promiscuous people. They loved their sin. And so it was very convenient for them to make a case for the non-existence of God and the fact that Jesus Christ is not God's son. And we see this even in the life of someone like Solomon in the Old Testament. Why did he worship at the false places? At the, and why did he worship false gods? Well, his wives led him astray. His sexual immorality led him astray. And so you see this, that people respond instinctively to what they do know, which is to follow the appetites of their own flesh. And so what has happened to p- mankind? So they behave in this way, so they're not rational. Well, it's because they've inherited a sinful nature. They've inherited the flesh, this sinful nature from their first parents. All humanity has inherited from the first parents, Adam and Eve, a sinful nature. And what has that sinful nature done? Well, it's blinded the minds of humans so that minds do not think rationally. They do not think irrationally. They are irrational instead. Humans can be presented with evidence for God and that his laws are right and good But what will sinful humans do? They will not respond with reason, but with instinct. They will not respond with reason, but with instinct, and their instinct is to reject God and to reject his laws. Why? It's a gut reaction. It's a gut reaction so that they can have their sinful pleasures. And how's it shown? Well, there's no rational case that they often have for why they reject God and why they reject his laws. You ask them why they're doing what they're doing. They can't make a rational case for it. And how else do we see it? You see it by the way that they don't think ahead of the moment that they're in. They don't think of the consequences of their actions. If they break God's law, what will happen to them? They're not interested in that. They're simply interested in the moment that they're in and satisfying the cravings of their sinful nature. And so they're quite happy to abuse Christ Jesus. They're quite happy to abuse his laws, even though they don't really know much about God. They may not have read the Bible at all. They may not know much about his laws, but they're quite happy to abuse them when they hear of them, because it's a gut reaction. They're not thinking rationally. They're thinking instinctively. And so how are they behaving then? Well, they're behaving, Jude says, like unreasoning animals, If you look at verse 10, what does he say? Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. The way that uh, the, the words are here in the Greek could be literally they are life without words. That's how the animals are described, it's translated as animals there, but that's the idea that there's life, there's beings of life and they are beings without words, which is a reference to animals. Because when you think about an animal, what is an animal? Well, it's a life form, definitely, but it's a life form that has no words. That you cannot speak to an animal, you cannot rationalize with an animal and it cannot speak back to you. If you went home today and you have a dog and your dog started to speak to you, it would change your relationship with the dog. But you cannot speak to it and it cannot speak back to you. It's an unreasoning being in this world. Now, animals of course can learn certain behaviours, you can train them and what's expected from them, but they're not reasonable beings like humans. You can tell an animal how much you love it and will care for it and are going to help it, but at the end of the day, It may not understand you at all, even with the intonation of your voice, but it certainly doesn't understand your words. It doesn't understand. And so what will the animal do? It will behave instinctively. It won't behave necessarily rationally. It will behave instinctively. And what does that look like? It looks like a rejection of authority that's coming over it, by barking and biting in order to be the alpha. And why does the dog or the animal, the wild animal, want to be the alpha? So that it can satisfy its appetite. So it can satisfy the cravings of its stomach and its sexual organs. That's why it acts the way it does. It doesn't act rationally, like you would expect a human to do. Instead, it it can react instinctively and irrationally. Even as the vet is saying, I'm doing this to help you. I'm going to put a needle into you. What does the dog do? It reacts instinctively, not rationally, even as the the vet is trying to save the life of the animal. And that is what these humans are behaving like. They're behaving like animals. They're not using their brains. They're using their sinful nature and behaving instinctively when they reject Christ's authority and when they reject his laws and do not live according to them. But what is the result for humans that behave like animals? Well, Jude tells us. What does he say in verse 10? Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. By rejecting Christ and rejecting his laws and living lives of sexual immorality and complete rebelliousness against Christ and his laws, they're being destroyed. How does this happen? Well, it can happen in this life, both bodily and mentally, mentally. They're destroying by their actions, their bodies and their minds. When you consider God's laws, you can see the benefits of keeping them. You can see that God's laws are given to us for our good. But when we break God's laws, when you go around murdering people, when you go around committing adultery, when you go around stealing and lying, it's harmful to you in the long run. The long term consequences of breaking God's laws are harmful to you in this life. To your body, it takes a toll on your body to go around murdering people, it takes a toll on your mind to do it as well. Some very good examples in history of people who have really struggled mentally because of the things that they have done. They just cannot get their heads around their sin. A great example of that is um, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, that great novel. You've ever read that. Just a wonderful example of someone who's wracked with guilt and tries to justify his actions in murdering an old woman. He tries to justify it, but he cannot get away from it. He takes a toll on his mind. He is destroyed by the very things that he does instinctively. And then, of course, we understand that we're destroyed in the next life. How? God will punish those who reject his son and his laws and break them with eternal punishment, eternal destruction. And why would God do that? Why would he destroy people who react just instinctively and reject him and his law? Well, what owner will tolerate an animal that is unrestrained, an animal that is completely unrestrained, What would you do if you had an animal and you fed it and you trained it and you showed love to it and care for it again and again and again, but it continued to growl at you and bite you? What would you do? Well, you'd get rid of it. Why? It's a danger to you. It's a danger to everyone around it. And ultimately, it's a danger to itself because it is completely unrestrained in its actions. And it's the same with God. If we bite him, if we bark at God all the time, he will get rid of us because we're a danger to him, we're a danger to those around us, and we're a danger even to ourselves is why death is in the world in one sense. There's many reasons why we can look at why death is in the world, but one sense is it's just wonderful that people who are unrestrained in their evil eventually are removed from this world. It doesn't matter how high you climb up the social chain and how much you can get yourself into being a dictator of a particular nation, there is a time limit as to how much destruction you can bring upon others, how much harm you can bring to others with your unrestrained instinctual sin that you're going to inflict upon this world. There is a limit. God will put you down like an animal eventually. And so what is Jude wanting to do? He's wanting us to watch out for unrestrained people, people who are showing a lack of restraint in the way that they treat God and his son and the way that they treat his law. But as we look at this and we look at verse 10 and we look at these people and how they're described, sadly, we've got to admit that we've all behaved like irrational wild animals. We've all behaved like irrational wild animals. How so? Well, we've all spoken abusively against what we don't understand. How so? Well, we've often thought in our mind or even spoken with our lips abusively against the Lord and his Son and, of course, his commandments. Why? Well, same reason that we see here in verse 10. We've followed our instincts, the instincts of our sinful nature, and behave like unreasoning animals. We haven't even behaved rationally, we haven't used our minds, we behave like animals instead. And so we've rejected Christ's authority, why? Because it gets in the way of our appetites, It gets in the way of the appetite that we have of our stomach, our eyes, our ears, our sexual organs, it gets in the way and so therefore we speak abusively against it and we reject Christ and his authority and his laws. And so what's that then mean? Well, it means that we've bitten the hand that feeds us. God looks after us every day, makes sure that we have enough to eat, that we can continue existence in this world. But we keep biting his head and we keep barking at him. Even as he's been trying to train us for our good, he gives us his law for our benefit, and we bark at him instead. Why is our rejection of God and breaking his law such a terrible crime? Well, if the archangel Michael wouldn't rebuke Satan how much worse is what we've done to God? There's, what's going on here in, in verse 9 and 10 is, verse 9 particularly, is a Hebrew way of reasoning where you start from the lesser and move to the greater. And as we look at the example in verse 9, it's the lesser and then we move to the greater. Because we look at the verse 9 and we see that we're not angels, let alone archangels. And Satan is the most unholy being ever. The exact opposite of God. But what wouldn't Michael do? He wouldn't slander Satan. The archangel, the archangel means the chief of angels, possibly the first of angels. That's what archae means. He wouldn't slander Satan. But what do we do? We think it's appropriate for us who are lower than the angels, certainly not even an archangel, to bark at God when he wouldn't do it even at Satan. No wonder we're compared to unreasoning animals. What were we thinking whenever we thought badly of God? Well, that's the point. We weren't thinking. We weren't using our minds. We were using our sinful nature instead. And so this is terrible. What these people in the church were doing. And when we look at our own lives and we see it in our own lives, we see how terrible it is. No wonder sinful humanity deserves eternal destruction. We certainly deserve to be put down like unrestrained wild animals that cannot be trained because such irrational animals are dangerous. Dangerous for God, their owner, dangerous for those around them, and dangerous even for themselves. And Peter agrees with this assessment, that we should be destroyed as unreasoning animals. Look back with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, page 1201, just a few pages back. Basically, this section, I, I read it before when we have looked at Jude, Jude and this section from Jude and this section from 2 Peter are uh, uh, very similar. Oh, sorry, not uh, one page, 1,205, 2 Peter chapter 2. And so there's all kinds of comment about which came first, 2 Peter or Jude. But uh, it's so clear that he agrees. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 10, page 1205. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. What are they following, these people, that he's described in earlier verses? They follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts. Creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. Very clear parallel passage to Jude, teaching that humans behave according to sinful nature. They do not behave rationally, and therefore, what do they deserve? They deserve to be destroyed like brute beasts that are a danger to everyone around them. So what hope then is is there for any of us? If we've all behaved as creatures of instinct and sinned against God, and so therefore deserved to be destroyed. What hope is there for us? Well, Christ Jesus is our hope. Why? Because Christ Jesus is not only Lord, but he's also Saviour. He's not only the Lord, but he's also Saviour, and he's Saviour of wild animals like us. How so? Well, at the cross, Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, was treated as a vicious, wild animal, deserves to be treated, in the place of those who trust in him. What happened at the cross? All the barking, all the biting of God's hand done by those who believe in Jesus Christ, it was placed upon Jesus Christ himself. All the times that we have slandered God and behaved by instinct, sinful instinct, rather than rationally with our minds, it was all put upon Christ. All the sins that we've committed to satisfy the sinful cravings of our appetites, of our stomachs, our sexual organs, all that cravings that we satisfied instinctually, it was put upon Jesus Christ. And what happened then? Well, Jesus Christ was put down on our behalf, like you would execute an animal that has been completely wild and unrestrained. And deserves to be removed from the face of the earth. That's what happened to Jesus Christ. He was put down on behalf of those who trust in him. And so then what is the result? Well, instead of destruction, it's life. What life? Well, bodily life for all of eternity. That Instead of being destroyed for all eternity, we are made alive and raised with Christ Jesus to live with him for eternity in heaven. And what else happens? Well, our minds which we haven't been using properly, we've been, using, we've been behaving instinctually instead of irrationally, well, they're renewed through the Holy Spirit. We are made rational beings, by the power of the Holy Spirit and given new minds. This is what is taught for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. We do not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God without the Spirit. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Christ's Lordship, Son of God, his laws, they cannot be spiritually discerned. And they cannot be discerned by someone who is... Unspiritual, because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that believers in Christ Jesus have the mind of Christ. And so they can actually behave rationally. That's what the minds of believers do. They live rationally instead of like animals. Christ didn't save us so that we can keep on behaving like animals. He saved us so that we behave rationally now and we don't behave as creatures of instinct like animals. Instead, we behave rationally and use our minds and think ahead of the current situation in and the consequences then of our action and we listen to what God has to say. What do we do now if we're believers in Christ? We don't bark at God, but we love God. We don't bark at Christ. We love Christ. We don't break God's laws. We keep God's laws because our minds have been changed so that we see that they're good for us and we want to keep them. There's a desire in us to keep them. What Peter says, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You used to live in ignorance and you conformed to the evil desires then, but now you don't live in ignorance and so you do not conform to the evil desires you had once before. This is what happens for the Christian. He is saved by Christ, being put down as a a vicious animal at the cross on their behalf so that they can live forever with a new mind, and behave rationally and so not conform to the evil desires they used to have. The question for you this morning is, are you still like those in Jude's church? How would you know? Or do you bark at what you don't know? You bark about God. You bite at God. But you really don't know him. You haven't even really read the Bible. You certainly haven't understood it. And so therefore you reject Christ. You reject his authority and you embrace immorality. If that is you, what are you doing? You're living according to instinct, not according to rationality. You may say you have a rational mind and that's why you're rejecting Christ and his laws, but you're not. You're behaving according to instinct, according to the sinful nature that you've inherited from your first parents. And what will happen to you? Well, one day you'll be put down like a hopeless, vicious animal that is completely unrestrained and a danger to everyone around you. So what should you do if that is you? If you see in your life that you're rejecting Christ and you're rejecting his laws, you're behaving irrationally, what should you do? You should repent. By the power of the Holy Spirit, turn back to God, who has fed you and cared for you for so many years, despite your rebellion, despite your vicious attacks upon him. The wonderful truth of the scripture is that God welcomes vicious animals to himself if they come to him in submission. They may have been vicious in the past, but if they turn to him in humble submission to him, he welcomes them. How do we know this? Well, As I said, the Bible tells us this, that Christ suffered in behalf of those who were once vicious so that they could be welcomed into his family. A great example of that is the Apostle Paul. He was someone who was vicious, behaving on instinct towards Christ, But God welcomed him into his family when he came in humility towards God. And how else do I know this? Well, I know it from my own life. I once was a vicious animal, unrestrained, towards God and towards his laws. But God has welcomed me through Christ into his family, despite my rebellion, despite all my attacks and my barking against him. I encourage you, return. If you've never done it before, return to Christ now, turn to him in repentance, in submission and humility before him, and he will welcome you despite how viciously you may have attacked him in the past and how much you've broken his laws. And then what should you do? Well, you should join us believers in thanking God by the power of the spirit. Why? Well, God graciously by the spirit has renewed our minds so that we don't behave like animals before. If it wasn't for God and his spirit, we would still be behaving like animals. But instead, he has renewed our minds, changed them so that the mind of Christ, so that we think clearly. We don't think in the the, the moment. We think consequences. We think down the track. What's going to happen in the future? And what else has God done for us that we should thank him for? Well, he saved us then from destruction, from the destruction that we deserve, that we deserve to be put down like a rebellious animal. But instead of being put down for all eternity... We will live with Christ in the paradise that is to come. And, of course, what else has he done Well, that we can thank him for? Well, we can thank him for the way that he renews our mind day by day as well. In one sense, he has renewed our mind, but the sinful nature is still with us. And as we look at our lives, we can see, even as I... It's been very hard preaching on Jude um, for a number of reasons. He quotes obscure things, and you've got to try and work it out. But he is hard-hitting, really. And when I look at my own life... Even in this last week, I can see where I've behaved by instinct rather than rationally. I've rejected something that God has been very clear about. And it's like I don't understand it in that moment and I behave on instinct instead. But thankfully, God renews my mind so I look at it and go, that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing that. And I pray to him and ask him for help. And therefore, I should be thanking him that he's renewing my mind day by day. So that I don't behave as an unreasoning animal, just trying to satisfy my appetites. But I think rationally and rightly about the way that I should live. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's come before him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of justice, who does not let the rebellious go unpunished. But we also praise you for your mercy in sending Jesus to die in the place of rebels like us. O Lord, we confess that we have often rejected your authority and broken your laws like unreasoning animals. But Lord, we ask again that you would forgive us by Christ's death, to help us and help us to think rationally by the power of the Spirit, so that we live according to your ways. O Lord, help us to trust that Christ suffered in our place, that He was treated like an animal, because we deserve to be treated like an animal, and so now we have been forgiven and are able to think rationally. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so, that we would continue day by day to put to death the acts of the sinful nature that arise so instinctively, and instead to think rationally and to live according to your ways, which are for our good and your glory. And Lord, if there is anyone this morning here who is still behaving like an animal altogether, oh Lord, we pray that you would awaken them by the Spirit and they would begin to have the mind of Christ and think rationally And so live according to your ways and know you for eternity in paradise. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.